as you do so, let me take you just very, very quickly um, to tell you where I was at last week. I started what I'm calling a three-part series on the will of God. And, and the will of God being a, a pursuit, something that we're in pursuit of, many times um, as the calendar year turns, often our perspectives turn. That was my sermon last week. It was called uh, A New Year, A New Hope, and A New Perspective, that sometimes in order to, to obtain the fullness of God's blessing in your life, to be blessed, to be a blessing, which is how we should all strive to live, right, to walk in blessing that we might be a blessing to someone else, that people might see his love, his light, his grace in our heart and life. Amen? Right? And that's how we want to live. Often at the turn of the calendar year, if there are decisions or if there's something that we've been pondering, then we often find ourselves striving to make a decision. And I've just been contemplating this, and I wanted to be able to share with you some things that I think can help you if you're in a season where, or if you're at a particular moment where you're making a decision. And it may be, uh, whether it, it, it really, the principles that I'm going to share today really have no uh, age factor. Uh, it could be the, uh, a younger person that is in the latter end of high school thinking about college, um, to, which, which is, I've just spoke with someone, and then it could be someone facing a, a potential of a career change. There's just a number of things, as you know. And one of the things that I'm very, very excited about sharing here with you today is, is that the doctrine that I'm going to share, I have proven this, and it's been proven in my own heart and life. There are times, especially as a younger pastor, not that I was previously, I'm not now. It's a terrible place to laugh at back there, too. And, uh, but, but, when, but when you're a younger pastor, you preach things that you believe in, but you may have not proven as of yet. Your, your, your experiences of life because you, you searched them in the book, you saw them in someone else's uh, life, and you felt inspired to preach them and share these principles. But it may be, as I've said before, when they put the armor of the king on David, he just wasn't comfortable in that moment. He had not proven the armor of the king as of yet. How many of you know David would later prove the armor of a king? Right? He would wear that, that very uh, you know, armor and, uh, into battle. Uh, but at that moment, he had not proven it, and he was uncomfortable with sharing it. And so today, what makes, me, what makes my heart so, uh, so, so, so glad today is that I honestly believe that these principles can help you, especially if you're that person that I'm talking to today when there's been something that you've been just contemplating, seeking God for, and you just haven't heard uh, with clarity. And so I'm going to share some things today that I think can help you. And we're going to start off with reading a little bit lengthy passage of Scripture to open it, to open this. And it's going to create the context for us today. I'm not preaching the heart of this psalm, but hidden in this psalm is a few phrases along the way that we'll see in the, in the, the latter part of the text, or the, of the sermon. So if you don't mind, you've probably been standing up for a while, but we're going to stand up one last time. We're going to read 14 verses of Scripture to open this message today. The psalmist David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. I like that, don't you? Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. This is why you should hide the Psalms in your heart. Though war should rise against me, in this 
will I be confident, not in yourself. One thing I have desired of the Lord, David said, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Come on, somebody. To behold the beauty of the Lord, and catch this latter phrase, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in, the, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. That's a good word right there, isn't it? That's a promise. Teach me thy way. Catch hold of verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, the psalmist said, unless, catch this again, Unless I had believed. You've got to believe. Come on, you've got to believe that you're going you're to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the psalmist said, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isn't that powerful? I could have entitled the message, wait on the Lord. That's part of it. In discerning the will of God, but I want to reach back to the 11th verse, and this is where I've extracted the title of my message here today. And it's just simply, lead me in a plain path. The psalmist prophetically declares that when you inquire of the Lord and you wait patiently and you believe God, that God will lead you in a plain path. How many believe God for that today? I'm believing for that today. So let's trust the Lord. Let's ask the Lord. You already know with... Uh, it's, it's easy to know what direction I'm going to take you. We're going to be in the will of God. We're searching for it. We're asking the Lord for direction in our lives. And we're going to trust that God's going to lead us in the direction he would have us to go. That's where I want to be. No matter what direction in life I go, it matters not as long as it's his direction. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I'm humbled to be here. I'm, I'm grateful for what I've seen with my own eyes. I'm grateful for what I felt in my heart as I have loved and hugged and received handshakes and affection back one to the other, God. I'm thankful for an opportunity to worship, to lift up the name of Jesus today, God. And now I'm grateful to have read the Word of God publicly and audibly in the sanctuary. And Father, we're going to turn our attention to not only the text of Scripture, but to the exhortation of Scripture. And in doing so, we're going to lean entirely upon the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask you to anoint both me as a speaker, but also the ears of the listener today, Father. We're going to pray that every thought that's in our heart and mind that could distract us, that for a few sacred moments we can move those thoughts out of the way. But God, I pray as I've prayed often, I pray, Lord, that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer today, God. I pray, Lord, that the hearts of the people would be parchment. 
I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that this word would be engrafted into their heart and minds. In Jesus' name, and all of God's children said, amen and amen. Now, you're going to have to bear with me for just a little bit because I've got some foundation work to do to share with you what's on my heart because there's a particular, I want to say, instrument here related to the will of God, to discerning the will of God that I think can bring great revelation to you and also to build faith inside you concerning discovering God's will in your life. The thing that people come to pastors for typically, above all else, seems to be for counsel. Counsel that often is, and I'm not just talking about marriage counseling or something of that nature, but often for inquiry type counseling. It's because they're often making a particular decision or there's a, a certain situation that they're dealing with and they don't know, and they'll often approach a pastor or another other spiritual leader. And, and so I have learned over the years of what critical moments that it is for people when they are making uh, decisions. There's a wise uh, gentleman in my life uh, that made a statement years ago that he said, a, a person's life, almost to the degree of, a, of the sum total of your life, will come down to just two or three major decisions that you made along that life and the path that you then chose. And how many of you know sometimes we make poor decisions and sometimes we spend a lifetime trying to recover from those poor decisions? Now, one of the things that's in my heart, if someone's made poor decisions, I don't believe all is lost because I know God is a faithful God. And He is able. He is able. You may be way out there off the path that He designed for you, but I'm telling you, God can bring you back to it, right? I do believe that. But my heart is also, if I can help you avoid making poor decisions, then I want to do that. I'm telling you, because my life is easier along the way, too. Nobody even caught that but Julie. Thank you, Julie. All right, so here we're going to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 28, for a moment. I'm going to give you a little bit of foundation here for a moment. In the book of Exodus here, this is the time of the children of Israel, and the waters of the Red Sea have now closed upon the enemies of Israel, and the wilderness journey has begun. And God has given Moses, while upon Mount Sinai, instruction for the tabernacle. He has received instruction for the transitionary uh, means of worship, the means in which the children of Israel on their journey and when they begin to take the promised land, that they'll have an access point of worship to God. We've preached about it. I love preaching about it. But this particular passage of Scripture here in Exodus 28 is dealing with the garments of the high priest. When the high priest is going to mediate for the people or mediate in, in his service to God in the holy place and also in the most holy place. But particularly, we're going to read the fourth verse here of Exodus chapter number 28. Now, we're going to have some scriptures. I'm going to go over this very quickly. I'm not focusing on the entirety of the, of the garments. We're only going to read this one verse of scripture, and then I'm going to show you an image. And these are the garments which they shall make. This is particular to the high priest, not to the priesthood, not to the Levites. The garments mentioned right here in the fourth verse are the garments related to the high priest of Israel. He said these are the garments that they're going to make. There's going to be a breastplate, an ephod, and a robe, and a broidered coat, a miter, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons 
that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So I'm going to give you a, a, just a quick image real quickly here that you may see, and many of you have seen this. And this is just a picture. This is common. Again, a quick Google search will produce a number of these, and you can see what the garments of the high priest would have looked like. But my focus today, very quickly, is the garment that almost looks like an apron called the ephod with its girdle around over the blue robe. But you see the ephod and the girdle, and then particularly and especially we're going to focus on the breastplate for just a moment. And we're going to see this on further. So now remember again, this is peculiar and particular to the high priest. The other priest of the sons of Aaron did not wear uh, attire like this and certainly did not the Levites. And so we're going to read this on down. That was the list of clothing. So now let's pick it up. We're going to jump to the 15th verse here. and It's going to address the breastplate. It's called the breastplate of judgment. It says, And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod, thou shalt make it of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, fine, twine, linen, thou shalt make it. Four square it shall be being doubled. Kind of remember that, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span thereof shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set in the settings of it stones. And there were four layers of stones, four rows of stones. The first row, and I probably won't pronounce all these right, and all you English teachers out there, you've got to give me grace. You heard that a while ago. Sardius and Tophaz, carbuncle, uh, this shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row shall be, uh, uh, there's the liger. I've always wondered where the liger was. Never mind. There's only a few people that know that. You know that, though, don't you, Dylan? That's all right. And, uh, and an, a, a gate, I guess, and I can't, an amethyst, I think it is. That's close enough for me. Someone from Wilburn. And the fourth row, a barrel and an oinks, as it is, not an ox, but an oinks, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And we saw those on the images there. You saw the four layers of stones. And so the stones shall be with the names. Notice this is very important. The names of the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, according to their names, inscribed on the stones like the engravings of, of a signet. Everyone with his name shall be they uh, shall, shall they be according to the 12 tribes. So I think you're getting the picture image of there, and you saw it right there, that the high priest, when he was fully attired in his service before the Lord, he would have the breastplate, which was attached to the ephod, and there would have the stones. Now notice what he said in the 29th verse. We jump forward, and this is very beautiful here, real quickly, and I'll probably address it in a moment. And Aaron shall bear, the 29th verse, shall bear the names of the children of Israel in his breastplate of judgment upon his heart. What a beautiful picture of the high priest, that when he went in before, to the holy place, that he would have the names of all the tribes um, upon his heart when he would go in before the Lord as a memorial before the Lord continually. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful picture. But notice this. Remember, it said that the, the breastplate uh, that, the, that would be doubled. And so, in essence, it seems as if they had the capacity to be made like a pouch or that there was a pouch sewn, or sewn into the back of it. For now, the 30th verse says, And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment. The Urim and the Thummim. Now, some say Urim, Thummim, but for most people pronounce it, whether right or wrong, pronounce it the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. So here we have the beginning of a revelation of a very mysterious 
part of the attire of the high priest that had a very particular purpose behind it in helping the children of Israel. So we're going to journey for just a little while. So before we really start making this personal to you, we've got to lay a foundation. So we're going to jump ahead now from the book of Exodus to the book of Leviticus because the Urim and the Thummim, which I'm going to mention in a moment of time and give you uh, the, the clarification of what that actually means in Hebrew. Some of you know already, and you're probably way ahead of me in your thoughts, and that's okay. Slow down and uh, let everybody be on the same page. It's only mentioned seven times in all the Word of God. It's very mysterious, but there again has a very prolific purpose behind it. So in, in Leviticus now, verse number 6 of the, eighth verse, of the eighth chapter, it says, And Moses brought Aaron and his, son and his sons, and he washed them with water. So this is when they're being attired. And he put upon him the coat, girded him with the girdle, clothed him with the robe, put the ephod upon him, girded him with the curious girdle of the ephod, and bound it unto him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him also, and also he put, just as he said in the book of Exodus, he put in the breastplate the Urim and the Thummim. And he put the mitre upon his head and upon the mitre, uh, his forefront, did he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. And Moses took the anointing oil, and he anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein, and he sanctified them, setting them apart. And he sprinkled thereupon the altar seven times, and he anointed the altar and all its vessels, both the laver and his foot. In the twelfth verse, and I included this just so you can see the sacredness of this moment, he pours oil, the anointing oil, upon Aaron's head, and he anoints him to sanctify him and to set him apart for his high priestly ministry. It's a powerful and a beautiful image. And again, the author here alludes to, informs us, that according to the plan that God had given to Moses upon Mount Sinai, that the workers have accomplished it exactly as the Lord had said, that they have created a breastplate, 12 stones, but inside the breastplate, they have put something called the Urim and the Thummim. No information, no additional information is given. So we have to jump ahead again one more time to get a little bit more information. Even though it doesn't necessarily tell us what it is, it tells us what its purpose was, the Urim and the Thummim, for just a moment. Let's follow this in Numbers chapter number 27. Everybody said Amen. Back in the old day of preaching, we used to say, when you've turned there in your Bible, say amen. But now uh, we've got it on the screen in front of you. So here in the 18th verse now, we see, and the Lord said to Moses. Now, this is, now a lot has happened. A lot of time and space has ha happened since we were reading about it in Exodus and Leviticus. We see now it's towards the end of Moses' life. So uh, the 40-year journey is coming to a close, the wilderness uh, journey. And now Moses has received instruction that he will not be allowed to go into the promised land. And he has interceded before God that God would choose someone to take his place. And in the 18th verse is where the confirmation that the Lord said to Moses that Joshua, the son of Nun, is the one that's in, that has been chosen to take your place. Notice this it said about Joshua. He is a man in whom is the Spirit of God. Come on, somebody, amen. And he tells Moses, he said, I want you to have a ceremony of some type and lay your hand upon him. And then, notice this, set him before Eliezer, who's the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him charge in their sight. So Aaron has passed already, and now Eliezer is his, uh, in, in his stead. And so, uh, before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. 
And he says, and thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him. So it was a supernatural moment here where God takes some measure of the gifting and the call of God that was on Moses, and he puts it upon Joshua. And, and I tell you what, I believe in that today. I believe in, the, in pastoral and, and, and coverings, and I believe that walking with somebody over a period of time, you begin to receive some measure of their spiritual giftings uh, some measure of it can pass to someone if you've been uh, mentored by them. Do you believe that? So the Lord took of what was on Moses and put some measure of it in the sight of all the children of Israel that they might be obedient. So now we're reading verse number 21. This is why I brought you to verse number 21 because here's what he also told Joshua uh, that he's also through Moses. He's telling Joshua, he said, I want you, he said, he's going to stand before Eliezer the priest. So Joshua's going to be the leader. He said, but Joshua's going to need help when it comes time to make decisions. And he said, he said he's going to turn to Eliezer the priest. So it wasn't just for anybody, but it was for the leaders who would then turn to Eliezer. And Eliezer, he said, well, here's what he would do. He will ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. And once that counsel was obtained from the Lord, at that word, they would go out. And at that word, they would come in. Now, that's a safe place to be, church family. Now, I have to admit, I haven't always went out with a word from God or come in with a word from God. I've made poor decisions in my past, in, the, in, in times in my past, when I, when I acted foolishly or without clarity or without counsel. But I love this. This is God's expectation for the children of Israel that at His word, they would come in and go out and all the children of Israel would go with him, even all the congregation. So if I just pause right there, that alone creates mysterious thoughts, doesn't it, within our heart and mind. A mystic, if we will, uh, by nature, just the very, just the very uh, nature of what we're dealing with because we don't have very much information around it. So here's what scholars tell us a little bit about the Urim and the Thummim. First of all, you go to the original language of Hebrew and you look for the word meaning and that casts a little bit of light. The word Urim simply means lights and Thummim means perfection. So in essence, you could look at it this way, perfect light or revelation and truth. Some kind of define it as revelation and truth. Now, what people believe, some, so there's differences, again, amongst scholars. And when I say amongst scholars, I'm talking about going all the way back for, uh, in the history of the Jewish Talmud, uh, that, that, that the writings there, that some believe that the Urim and the Thummim was a black stone and a white stone that was placed in the pouch of the breastplate that had the illuminatings or had the stones upon it, and that when the leader, Joshua, or one of the leaders later would come to seek counsel and ask a question, do we go out? Or do we refrain from going out? Do we go here? Do we not go there? That he would reach in and one stone was for yes and one stone was for no. That's how some believe. Now others believe that there were two stones of similar nature, perhaps different in color, but a supernatural light would radiate that when the, the priest would look into the pouch that he would see one of the stones would radiate supernaturally revealing the will of God. Now, others believe, and I'm just kind of giving you just a little bit of background information, they believe that the stones of the breastplate themselves that had been inscribed with the names of, of the children of Israel, that when they began to seek the counsel of God, that God would cause illumination of the names that were written of certain of the letters and form a secret message that the priest would then read 
as it was illuminated upon the breastplate. Now, not everyone certainly believes that, but there are some that do believe that. And then, or others believe that the stones themselves, if they were stones that were placed in the, inside the breastplate, that on those stones there were some things that were scribed, that the letters would illuminate direction. So, again, we could, try, we could give even other potential options. The reality is, is no one really knows. No one really knows. And matter of fact, at the end uh, or at the beginning of the first century, as you begin to read the writings of Josephus, Josephus, the, the ancient uh, historian, Jewish historian, says that the Urim and the Thummim had passed away of usage amongst the people of Israel about 200 years earlier, and he too could only speculate of how the will of God was obtained. So with that, I want to just pause for just a moment, and before we look at it and see if there's, a de- is there something that can be applicable to you and I today, and I believe that it can, I want to first just pause for a moment and say, I think we should ponder the care, the kindness, and the love of God for His people, that He would give the people a means to gain clear direction about making decisions that would infect the entirety of the nation, that would, in, that, that would affect them. I want you to think about that. And also, the, the, the fact that the high priest, when he would go into the holy place, whether it be to burn incense on the golden altar, that he was, when he was in full attire, that he would carry the names. I'm telling you, that's powerful to think about that his role of mediation between God and the children of Israel, that the high priest, upon his breast... Over his heart, he would remember every tribe asking for God's covenant blessings to be upon the people. That's a powerful picture that we're going to talk about in a moment. And then, upon the request of the leader or the one-day king, the high priest could then uh, inquire of God for the direction of the nation. It's both powerful and yet mysterious. But again, I think there's something hidden in it that I think can help you and I as we search for direction in our lives. Now, let me take you a little bit farther in this. We cannot know for certain, but I think there's a couple of passages in the Word of God where there was the practice of the Urim and the Thummim, where it was actually practiced exactly as it had been told that they sought for counsel. I'm going to read one. I did not give them this verse of Scripture. I'm going to read one. I'm not for sure that this is, this, uh, is conclusive, but I think it is indicating. It's in Judges chapter number 20, and it was in verse number 18. Here's what it said. It says, And the children of Israel arose, and they went up to the house of God, and they asked counsel of God. And, when, and they said, which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? That was when there was a small civil war amongst the people. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. So it just seems, and Angie's very fast, and she's already got the scripture up there. So it just seems that maybe that that is uh, them pursuing and following the practice that had been given, they had been re- given instructions on. Uh, in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and in Numbers. So, but I, I, can, I, I don't know for sure if that was, but I think there is another passage that I could tell you where I think it is almost a certainty where, where there was a particular leader that sought the counsel of God by means of the Urim and the Thummim. Let me tell you just a little bit about that. I'm trying to build the backdrop, because in a moment, we're going to take it out of ancient history, and we're going to make it particular to you and your life. Now you say, Pastor Brown, I, I, you know, I'm really not at a moment of a particular decision in my life, but you're going to be at some point in time. 
You know, so you might as well learn principles and precepts that will keep you from making or potentially keep you from making poor decisions. I tell you, if we'll just wait on God, He'll direct us in a plain path. Right? I believe that with all of my heart. In the life of King David, before he was king, he had been anointed as king. But if you know the scriptures, you know there was a time when he was actually a fugitive before the existing king, Saul. Saul's bitter jealousy had caused David to have to flee. David at that time was living in the palace with the king or was serving very close with him. He was the leader of his army. But because of Saul's jealousy, it was determined on a fateful day that David would no longer be able to live and to serve directly under the king because the king was going to try to kill him. Many of you know this story, but let me build it for just a moment of time. And so the scripture says that King David fled from Saul, and the first place that he goes to is Nob. And there at Nob was the tabernacle, the thing that we were just talking about just a little bit earlier, where you would have had the priests in the priesthood. And there David does not, notice this, David does not inquire of the Lord because in one sense he maybe doesn't feel like that's his responsibility to do so because he's not the king at that moment. And so he just simply said he needs something to eat. The scripture says, I think Abimelech is the king, or excuse me, is the priest, and he gives him food, and he also gives him the sword of Goliath, which has been at the tabernacle since David killed Goliath perhaps years earlier, months or at least, uh, uh, perhaps years, but, but for sure months earlier. And so, and then he leaves. And, and so he doesn't inquire on his behalf, the high priest does not. But the scripture says, oddly enough, that there is a man named Doeg, the Edomite, who is the chief of the herdsmen of Saul, who was detained before the Lord. What that means, I don't know. Why he was there, I don't know. He's held up before the Lord in the tabernacle, and, and so he sees David come to him, and he knows something is not quite right, and he rats David out to Saul. And he tells Saul, David's gone to the tabernacle, and the priest has inquired of God on his behalf. And Saul, in his bitter jealousy and his anger, gathers his army, and he heads to the small little village called Nob, where there's the tabernacle, and he accuses the priest of inquiring uh, uh, for David. And the priest owns, uh, the priest says, no. Matter of fact, the, it's a, you need to read it later. The priest defends his character and his actions, and he defends David. And he says, there's nobody in your army or in your household like David that's more loyal to you. And he said, God forbid that I would inquire against the wishes of the king. And he said, I didn't do anything but give him food and give him the sword, and that was it. But Saul's jealousy could not be abated, and his envy rose to the degree that he turned to his own soldiers and he said, I want you to fall upon, King James English, to kill all the priests that are serving in the tabernacle. And the men, to their credit, who are following the king, refused to lift up their sword against God's anointed. But tragically, Doeg the Edomite didn't carry the same convictions. And in the most brutal and one of the most painful accounts in all of the Word of God... Doeg the Edomite kills 85 men that had been anointed to serve God in the tabernacle. Blood flowed that day, but his thirst, his thirst for blood, Saul was not satisfied just with the death of those men anointed to serve. He goes to the village and kills their wives. All men, old, young, children, and the Bible says even the suckling infants. And the animals used in sacrifice. It was a bloody, 
and a horrific day that day. But in the fray, in the midst of all the, we can't even fathom what that was like when those villages were invaded by Doeg and those that were willing to, to, to follow him. The scripture says, listen to this, one, one of the sons of Abimelech the priest survived, Abathar by name, and he takes refuge with David. I don't know how he finds David, but he somehow finds David and he tells what's taking place, and David says, I have caused the, the, the death of all your family. Stay with me, you'll be safe. But look at this, look at this. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 23, because it seems as when Abathar fled, that as they were destroying the men, that he brought something with him. 1 Samuel chapter number 23, I believe verse number 6, tells us that he carried with him, when he came to David, he brought with him an ephod. Now, I'm going to say that it's very possible that as he escaped the sword that day, he didn't just grab any ephod hanging in the closet, but he grabbed the ephod of the high priest that had the breastplate upon it. Because if you look right there in that passage of Scripture very quickly, in the second verse of the same passage, you see from that day forward, you see this, and David inquired of the Lord. He's asking questions, and do we go up? And the Lord says, David, go. Look at verse number four. The words are semi-repeated. And David inquires of the Lord yet again, and the Lord answers him, arise and go down to Keilah. Look at verses nine through 12, four verses of Scripture. Kind of set this in your heart. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him, and he said to Abathar the priest, bring hither the ephod. And it seems with the aid of Abathar the priest and his mediation that David is inquiring before God and the Lord. He says, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard what Saul has done at Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Read verse numbers 11 and 12. And that will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? And will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And then said David, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you up. Now that's a, that's a picture right there for us to see very quickly. That it seems as if God is choosing to answer David's inquiry by the Urim and the Thummim. It seems to me that upon that inquiry, when David is praying and asking that he's got Eliezer, the, or not Eliezer, but Abathar the priest, who is mediating on his behalf, and when David is saying, do I go up, it seems as if that the priest must be reaching down, if that's what he did, into the breastplate, to the Urim and the Thummim, and he's pulling out the stone that answers, yes or no, this is your direction. And so this means of inquiry is a powerful thing, and we all find ourselves in this place of a place of inquiry at particular moments in our life. It seems as if, if you read the narrative of Scripture, that the means of inquiry seems to give place later to the spirit of prophets and prophecy that we see later in the kingdom years, and, and that we see the prophet who is prophesying to the king the word of the Lord. But I want to not overlook the, re the revelation of the Urim and the Thummim for just a moment to help you, and I'm a, I've laid the foundation. Now I'm going to shift it and begin to turn it personal to you because for a brief minute today, I want to lead you to a particular place of understanding in your heart and mind. So I hope that faith will arise inside of you and you will know that God has a means for you to be able to receive direction for your life. Come on, that's a good thing to say amen to. So very, very quickly, the thing I want you to know first of all is that you have to believe that God loves you and God cares for you. 
and God is willing to speak direction to your heart and life. When we read in Psalm 27, he said, you've got to believe that you're going to live and not die. And you're going to live and see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And he said, so wait upon the Lord. Have faith. So I'm going to throw a few verses of Scripture out. I don't want to just throw them out. I'm going to sow them out. Sowing them in your heart. We're going to read them quickly in Psalm 43. And I'm going to read them on the screen. It'll take me too long to turn. Psalm 43 and 3, he said, send out thy light and thy truth. And let them lead me and bring me into thy holy hill. Psalm 109, 105, verse 5, 105. The word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. Glory to God. Psalm 119, verse 133, all taken from the old covenant. Order my steps in thy word. God can illuminate his word and direct your steps, right? Order my steps in your word. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Some of you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? If you'll acknowledge him, what will he do? Come on, somebody. What will he do? I told you coming into the new year, I really felt in my heart that I've got a group of men and women in our church that you're searching for direction. You're looking for clarity. You're wanting to know that God's leading you. I want you to have faith that God will direct your path. Let's go a little bit farther. Proverbs 16 and 9. A man's heart devises this way. I found this to be the most true of all. Because my heart often devises a way sometimes different than what God chooses and what God reveals. But God promises he will direct your path. Come on now. Psalm 32 and 8. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Correct? I'm telling you, before I can go any farther in this and take you into one, I'm going to share one element of truth to close this message that I believe that will bring a comparison to the Urim and the Thummim that will help you when you're searching for the wisdom of God. You've got to believe, you've got to have faith that God will direct your path, right? If you don't have faith, then you're just spinning the wheel. But if you're trusting that there's an answer in the breastplate of judgment, to create direction for you and your family, then you've got to believe that he said that he would instruct you and teach you in the way that you would go, and then he would guide you with his eye. God will guide you with, you, with his eye. Verse, verse 23 of the 37th chapter, and there's one more after this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I love that one. You ought to say that in your heart. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I've prayed for you as a priest many times, and I've prayed over you in private. And I've said it this way. Lord, let the steps of a good man or a good woman. And all the ladies say amen. The steps of a good man and a good woman are ordered by God, and let them delight in his way. God delights in their way. Come on. And then in Isaiah 48, verse number 17. It says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, and which will lead thee by the way that thou should go. And so I know there's some people that don't believe that God speaks today. There's some people that don't believe in anything supernatural whatsoever. But based upon the written Word of God, that was just a sampling. I could take you to hundreds of other passages of Scripture where God directed the steps of those that He loves. And I want you to have covenant faith in your heart that there is a means for you when you're seeking direction from God to wait upon the Lord until you know with clarity that he's leading you in this direction. I found that I'm not going to preach them and everybody say amen seven ways. <laughs> there it was, Lynette gave me a good amen. Seven ways 
I'm going to focus on the seventh, and I'm going to read these others out. How many believe God speaks through a prophetic word? I believe in a prophetic word. My life has been altered. I'm your pastor today because of a prophetic word. Visions and dreams. God speaks, and God still speaks through visions and dreams. I mean, the beginning of the, I don't, we're going to say the beginning of the New Testament, the Intermediate Testament, in the Gospels, when Joseph is needing direction, God speaks to Joseph through a vision and dream, right? About his wife and his family, about a journey to Egypt. And so, we, it's, it's in the Scriptures. It's later in the, uh, in the book of Acts. I'll probably talk about it next week. I believe God can direct your steps through His Word. Through his word, that God can quicken. It says that by his word, his, uh, you know, that it would be a lamp unto your feet or a light unto your path. God illuminates your direction, in essence. It was uh, Urim and Thummim, light and truth. It was uh, a revelation. So I believe also God can give uh, direction through godly counsel. Now, sometimes we don't want godly counsel, and sometimes we reject godly counsel. But I've seen in my life and as a pastor that I've seen the will of God determined by godly counsel. The Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counsel. Now, I know that just because you have a group of people together doesn't necessarily mean that that's always the, the will of God, right? And it's, it's entirely possible for an entire host of people to miss the will of God. But for the most part, there's safety in godly counsel. Come on, somebody. Number five. Agreement in marriage. I'm telling you, this is a critical one if you're married. Now, if you're single, God is your husbandman, right? But if you are married, I'm telling you, you, you really got to be cautious doing things outside of agreement in marriage. Because how can two walk together lest they be agreed? And if you're walking in the direction that you need to go, God puts balance in us through marriage, and I often have looked for years for agreement in marriage. Sister Sherry and I are pondering something because you've got to factor that in in your decision-making process. Number six is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And we have the illumination power of the Holy Spirit, and God can just quicken direction just like that. You know, it can just, and it doesn't have to be in a prophetic word that someone else brings you. Prophetic words are good, and I thank God for prophetic words. And I'm going to take a moment to talk about one in closing here in just a second. But I want you to know that there are times that just the inner witness of the Spirit, God spoke to you, and you follow His direction, correct? But lastly today, and I believe that this one is perhaps the most uh, necessary because it supports all the other six. Number seven, this is what I'm closing with today, the peace of God. The peace of God, I think, is the thing that is most akin to the Urim and the Thummim that I see in the Word of God. I believe it is critical, it is critical that when you believe that you have found in your pursuit of the will of God, that you, no matter how the direction came to you, that when you determine that you have heard from God, that you then need His peace to support that decision. It's the clarification. It is the finality. It is the it's the very thing. I'll talk about it in a moment. So when I said I was the pastor, I've had prophetic words in my life. I want to be very, very careful. I don't want to make this about me in any capacity. But I'm going to tell you a little story I've told many of you in the past, uh, but that we, all, we have a new church. But th this week holds a lot of, 
of uniqueness to me and Sherry in our life for whatever reason, whatever reason, the week from here to the till next Sunday. I joined the military on January the 13th when I went active duty, and I preached my very first sermon at Shirley as a pastor on January the 14th. In 1996, and uh, on January the 10th in 2001, Sherry and I's house burned down. And then late January, just a little bit farther than this, uh, I was uh, uh, chosen to be the pastor of Heber Springs First Assembly of God. So for whatever reason, I've found that the Lord has directed my steps through kind of through the course of this week. There's been some things, so my thoughts have been here. I can't help. I'm human too. My thoughts have been in tracing in my own life. But I want to share with you just real quickly when I was uh, going up to, I was in the military still uh, searching for the opportunity to go and pastor. And I was going to go for my tryout sermon at Shirley. Sherry and I pastored, as most of you know, at Maranatha Assembly of God in Shirley for seven years from 1996 until um, late January, early February of 2003 when we became the pastor here. So I'm in an active duty Air Force, and it was the day before. It's a Saturday. Sherry and I, for, and I don't have time to tell you why, but we're living in the parsonage in Wilburn. So we're living in the parsonage in Wilburn and at the General Baptist Church because I was searching for the will of God in the hill country. And they allowed us to live there while we were kind of searching out the will of God. And so I had put in to, uh, uh, through the process of the Assemblies of God to, to, to potentially be considered a candidate for the church at Shirley. We didn't know a lot about it. We were learning. It was a first step for us. Uh, again, I'm still active duty military at this particular time. And that Saturday, Sherry and I and our family had gone to Searcy. And we were contemplating amongst ourselves whether we'd be able to go up to Shirley in the hill country because that week an ice storm had been in the area. And you typically don't want to go up to Shirley in the ice storm or you will see your own headlights on a couple of those curves. And so um, in the process there, uh, so during what was happening though, and I didn't find this out till later when it was told to Sherry while we were at church that next day, and it was told for the purpose of telling me, and they were uns this person, this individual was uncertain of whether or not they would. And some of you, it's a familiar story, but for some of you, it's not. And so the course of the day had come on, and there was a couple there at our church named Elmer and Sue Stewart. And Elmer had been a previous deacon at the church. The church didn't have a deacon board at that time, but he's kind of acting in that way. And he's trying to get a hold of me. In those days, you didn't have cell phones. I feel Jesus. The first cell phone that I had, church family, I didn't know you had to turn it on to receive a phone call. So I walked around Shirley like I was all Mr. Cool Dude, and I, with my phone just, well, in that case, Sherry needs to go to hold of me, or the, the secretary needs to go to hold me, and I didn't have it turned on because I didn't know you had to turn it on to get a call. But nonetheless, that's for another story. But nonetheless, so we've gone, so Elmer uh, has tried to call, uh, and, it threw, and he had a name, Lee Brown from Jacksonville. That's all he knew, Lee Brown from Jacksonville. Well, I don't live in Jacksonville. I live in Wilburn, but I did live in Jacksonville. But he somehow, in those days, you could call certain numbers, and you could get a name, and they'd give you a number. And he said, and he called, and he called, and his brother answered. And he said, hey, is this Lee Brown? He said, yes, sir. And he said, he said, man, are you, are you fired up about preaching tomorrow? He said, yes, sir. He said, are you preaching in Shirley tomorrow? He said, no, sir. And he was a true brother, if you understand what I mean by that. And that brother went headed to Shirley to preach, and he, that's all he knew was Lee Brown. That's, and finally he realized, wait a minute, there's another number. He's living in Wilburn. He tried to get a hold of us. We had gone to Searcy. And so while he was waiting to get a hold of us, um, he, he and his wife got in their vehicle, and they were going to go drive the roads to see if it was safe enough for us to have church the next day. And so as they were driving, just out of the blue, a prophetic word dropped in the heart of his wife, and she said, turned to her husband, Elmer, and said, the Lord just spoke to me and said, our next pastor is going to have five children. Sorry, Alyssa. 
You hadn't made it as of yet. And so Elmer turned to her and he said, Sue, there's no way. She, he said, people don't have five kids today. He said, there's no way. So we, went, we made our journey. Remember, this is happening in Shirley. We're in Searcy. And so we make it back later afternoon. It gets dark. There's chaos like the Riggs house. Kids are trying to get ready. We're trying to get them around for bed. we got small children, infant children, all this. And the phone rings, and I answer it. And it's the first time I've ever talked to a deacon about inquiring about a church on the phone. So it's new to me. And I'm like, and i got to pull the long cord all the way in here to shut the bedroom door so I can go in there and talk. Because, again, there's no cell phone in those days, and we didn't even have a cordless phone. All we had was a corded phone. And so I'm talking to him and visiting with him and answering questions. And he said, I've driven the roads. You used to leave around. Yes, 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 we're going to come. So tell me about yourself. I told him I was in the military. He asked a number of questions. And then he asked this question here. He said, part of the way, he didn't start off with this question. He said, how many children do you have? And I said, I have five children. And he said, you have five children, just like that. And he said it loud because he's pointing to his wife when he said it, five children. And he said she danced across the living room floor. Now, how do you believe that's a prophetic word? Right, of revelation of lights and truth. However, I had already devised a way and a path in my heart, and it wasn't including Shirley. It was Heber Springs. But God's a God of time and seasons when you're searching the will of God. And you have to learn. And so I preach, and I could tell there were 19 people in attendance that Sunday morning, that cold Sunday morning. Sherry and I brought seven with us. We were a fourth of the church. <laughs> on, on our very first service, 26 total number in service. And I could tell that the people's heart was tender towards ours, and we're going back home, but I'm struggling just a little bit with it. But then Sherry shares with me the prophetic word that, was, that had happened, and I'm meditating on it, and I go to my pastor, and I tell him about it, and we're contemplating it. And I'll tell you what happened that gave me the courage to, in order for me to put in, to get out of the military early, to load up our family, and to leave and to head up to the, to the hill country there and Shirley and pastor for seven wonderful years is that God gave me the peace of God. You can have a prophetic word, but a prophetic word is not an assurance that you've got the faith to step out and do what God's called you to do. But when God gives you peace, when God illuminates peace in your heart, then you know God's given you an assurance that you need to take this journey of life. You say, Pastor Brown, well, what is peace? Peace is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm, I'm closing, I'm on the final page, the last half of the page of my notes. But let me tell you about peace for a moment of time. Peace is something that I can do my best to define it for you. I can theologically tell you that it's a calm assurance in God's revealed purpose. But the writer says the peace of God passes understanding. That the peace of God, I can't adequately define it for you. And I can't explain it in such a way that you walk away and say, yeah, I know exactly what peace is now. Peace sometimes is just something that God does supernaturally by spirit. You can't elaborate on it. You can't tell somebody why. You can't tell somebody how. All you know is, is that direction has been determined and you're following the Lord. And it seems like there are a lot of obstacles and it seems to be contrary to, to even, even sound thinking at times. But God has undergirded it by a grace called the peace of God. And I believe that the peace of God, I, I know this, I know this, here's what I know. Jesus is a high priest, and he carries us upon his heart. And he intercedes for you and I, right? And in his heart is his revealed will. 
But I also believe that we're priests before God. And so when we inquire before the Lord, as we inquire before the Lord, we can pray and ask God to speak His Word, the Word of the Lord, to us and give us revelation and truth as the Spirit of God quickens it in our heart and affirm it by giving us peace. God can give you peace. What is peace again? Colossians 3 and 15 is this. I'm going to ask Daryl to join me on the platform. Colossians 3 and 15, the last verse of Scripture. They told me I had 50 slides today. It's a lot. It's a record. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Catch it right there. Read it. Read it, read it with me. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. That word rule in the original language means to arbitrate, which means to make a decision, or it means to govern. But you know, in Greek writing, here's what it actually means. In Greek writing, going back 2,000 years, it meant to umpire. It meant to decide, determine, and to direct. Listen to this. Here's what the Amplified Bible says about that same verse. Let the peace of Christ, the inner calm of one who is walking daily with him, be the controlling factor in your heart, deciding and settling questions that arise. The peace of God. I love this reference to an umpire. Some of you played baseball. Uh, over the years are softball and oftentimes there's a play made at home plate or at first base where there's a first base umpire and it's so close it's difficult but the umpire makes the call right you're either out or you're safe the peace of God when you're saying God I'm needing direction. I'm needing clarity. I'm needing God. And and you believe it's whether or not that peace illuminates in your heart. If you don't have the peace of God, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to either go another direction or you need to wait on the Lord. Right? If you don't have the peace of God. And so in conclusion today, as your minister, your pastor here today, as we minister before the Lord, as you minister before the Lord, and you're seeking His will, I told you at the beginning of this year, I felt as your pastor that there would be men and women in our congregation, in our fellowship, who were diligently seeking God's guidance. And if I could do anything to help you make a good decision, then I wanted to do that. And I believe that the principles that I've dropped in your heart. You say, Pastor, what principle? I really just dropped one. I did. But I looked at the, I, go, I went back and I looked at the Urim and the Thummim. That mysterious element. We, maybe a stone, Dylan, I don't know. I don't know if it was a stone or not. I kind of like to think it was. I kind of like to think that the stone illuminated I, I kind of like that it was I, I kind of think it wasn't just a black stone or a white th- stone, as some have said. I kind of like to think that when the priest opened up the pouch, now you've got to think about that. This is a critical decision. Though, though, that example that we, we used, David was making a critical decision. He already knew what he was dealing with. Saul had already sh- shown that he was ruthless. He slaughtered the king's pre- or the priest of the Most High God. And now David is about to move and go a certain place, and he's got to know, is this going to work out? Is this the right thing? He's putting other people's lives at jeopardy, and that's what many of our decisions do. Come on, church family. That's what many of our major decisions in life do, is we put the welfare of other people in jeopardy when we make those decisions. And that's why we don't need to make haphazard decisions. 
We need to believe in our heart that God will lead us in a plain path. And I just believe, this is the way I see it. Now, again, I'm fictionalized this in my mind. I see David or maybe Joshua Pryor or one of the leaders, no matter who it was, approaching the priest and the priest going before God. Now, remember, it's not in the most holy place. He didn't wear the attire of the, the high priest at that level when he went there. He simply is probably going into the holy place in front of the golden altar where there's incense being burned. And while they're burning incense, he's inquiring before the Lord because he's been asked to do so by the king or the, of the leader of the people. And the people of ancient Israel are on his heart. They're on his heart. And he's praying, and the priest is asking God, and he's saying, Lord, do we move to this town? Do we move to this school? God, is it time for job change? Come on, somebody. Right? Is it, is it time, Lord? What, 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 some, the people that stood in front of this church and we, were wel- we welcomed them, they had a choice to make. They had a decision. They prayed about it. They sought the Lord. And it is my belief that in that moment of time, the priest would open up and look inside that judgment. And there would be of those two stones, one of them illuminated. And it would provide the direction for the people. And I believe that is a picture of the peace of God. The supernatural peace of God released in your heart to confirm God's direction. Come on, somebody. Amen. You say, Pastor, man, I've been praying about some things, and I see the beauty of that peace of God. I see the beauty of it. I see the need for it, but I don't have it. Let me tell you, word of wisdom to you. Don't do something until it comes. That's why he said, wait He said, wait, I say on the Lord. Wait, I say on the Lord. Be of good courage and wait on the Lord. I believe, Psalm 27, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. I believe God will lead you in a plain path. You believe that today? I know I've preached a long time. I do it all the time. I'm our preacher. They'll put that on my tombstone one day. Pastor Brown lies here. He preached an hour. But do you know the information I shared with you today, if you'll heed this information, it can help you the rest of your life. It can help you. I, it's not one without the other. Time didn't allow me to develop those other things, counsel, uh, agreement in marriage, prophetic words. All of that's a part of it. Inner witness, just wisdom, But God gives, but undergirding it all, the light (laughs) and the truth, the Urim and the Thummim, the peace of God, the peace of God. That's my prayer for you today. I want to ask our heads to be bowed and our eyes closed because I'm going to close this service by giving people an opportunity in a minute to just come forward.